Gnosticism teach? That's right. Okay, good. Go ahead. There's ways to get closer to God. That's good. Special knowledge. They said they. That's right. All those. All those are right. That they. They claim that they had a deeper knowledge uh, of God, and there were certain religious acts that you could do to find out this secret hidden message. Right. They tried to add circumcision uh, into being a Christian, uh, other things that they would try to do, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> nowadays that just wouldn't fly, would it? <laughs> You're like, if you want to know the secret hidden knowledge of God, you got to be circumcised. Like, and if you haven't, tough luck on you. You're just going to have to do it. I mean, can you imagine sitting in a congregation and thinking you're cool and then maybe you're a Gentile? Gentiles would not have been circumcised at that point. I know it sounds kind of silly, but I mean, they would not have been circumcised. They weren't Jews, and so that would have concerned a lot of men in that church, right? On top of all the other things that they were trying to add to the gospel, that was one of them. And, uh, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that tonight. You're going to see it in the passage. But um, <coughs> basically what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, is he's talking about the fact that Jesus is to be crowned Lord of all because it's not Jesus plus something that makes you righteous before God. It is Christ alone. It is it, we, we are saved and justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is His righteousness that makes us righteous before God. When we accept Jesus Christ, He deposits His righteousness into our account. Before we come to know Jesus, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. We have nothing that we could offer to God, even our best gifts to God are as filthy rags, the Bible says, okay? And so it's Jesus and only Jesus that makes you righteous before God. It's only Jesus and only Jesus that keeps you righteous before God. And so that's what we've been talking about, and that's what he's talking about here. Let's look at what, he's talk, he, what Paul mentions here in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, talking about Christ, he says that he is the image of the invisible God, that he is the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, this is one of my favorite passages. Ready? It says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions. That's who you used to be. But now, after Jesus, he has reconciled you by his physical body through his and presents you holy, faultless, and blameless before Him, if indeed you are grounded and steadfast in the faith, and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. All right, 
want to talk about what Paul was doing there. But first, let's bring it into our day because we face the same problems that the Colossians were facing. You see, the problem that we face is a lot like the ones that the Colossians faced. The problem with our culture is not that we totally, look at our country, we don't totally deny Christ. It's simply that we dethrone Him, right? It doesn't take long to see the strategies of Satan in our society. The dethroning of Jesus simply happens when Jesus is demoted and taken down out of being one supreme authority that is to be worshipped. And personally, that's on a societal level, and personally, Jesus is, when Jesus is second place in your heart, He's really last. There's no such thing as a second place Jesus. He is either everything to you, or, is he, or He's merely an add-on, which is the most blasphemous way to look upon Jesus. Yeah, that's the way our culture does. They preach today about tolerance. They say, Jesus is okay, but so is Buddha and so is Muhammad. You know, I mean, they're all really okay. Listen, it's okay to worship Jesus. That's, if that's your religion, if you choose to follow Jesus, that's fine. As long as he is one God, he's not one among many. Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation. He is the one and only. So in the context of Colossians, these false teachers that we just talked about, and that's what they're seeking to do. They're seeking to add to the gospel. Uh, and, and so these Gnostics are false teachers taught, the, and, and this is a good way to think of it because this is, this is by definition from the book what Gnosticism teaches. They thought of Jesus as one among many emanations coming from God the Father. All right? Now, I'm going to explain that. All right? It, it's, but it's interesting to think about this. Do you realize what that means? They, they're saying that, that Jesus was just an emanation of God, that he wasn't fully man. Now, think about this for a minute. The first argument after the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ was that he wasn't God. It was that he wasn't a man. Let that sink in. The, after the resurrection of Jesus back then, the argument stopped being he's a blasphemer that needs to be killed. It turned into, well, clearly he must have looked like a man and he acted like a man and he seemed like a man, but he really wasn't a man because men can't do what he did. Right? And so well, it's funny to me that people... Nowadays, they say, well, Jesus always claimed to be a man. Anybody after the resurrection, if you could visit him, they would tell you, absolutely not. He was not a man. He was just an, emana- an emanation from God, right? So <clears throat> they denied him being fully man. And, and so, but when you, listen, when you take away the humanity of Jesus, then you take away his ability to save people from their sins, Right? I'm going to try to be real, like, this is something that blew my mind when the Bible hit me. You ready? Romans says, in Adam all die. We're all descendants of Adam, okay? And Romans says, in Adam all die. For just as sin entered the world through one man, so sin can leave the world through the perfect sacrifice of one man. So if Jesus is not fully man, then Jesus cannot save men. Because, listen, the penalty of sin is death. 
And so if one man sinned, right, and the penalty for that sin is death, and everybody, every human that was ever born into that family lineage was born into sin, then there had to be a man who would live a fully righteous life, who would never fail, never sin, never do anything wrong, and then he had to die as a payment for the sin of all men. Right? The problem is, men can't be perfect unless they were supernaturally born. Jesus was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. So, he was fully man and he was fully God. And you cannot simply take away the deity of Jesus or the manhood of Jesus without robbing him of power. All right? These false teachers called Jesus, when they called him an emanation, what they meant was that he was one among many lesser spirits emanating from the one true God. He was like a hologram, right? They were saying, like, we saw him, he looked like a man, but he was definitely not a man, right? But they, by doing this, they demoted him from his position, okay? They made him, they, he was equal with God, but he wasn't fully God, which made him, which made him a lesser spirit than God. Though he came from God, he was just a shadow of God. He wasn't really God. You see what I mean? So here in our passage tonight, we have Paul putting all that mess to bed. Inspired on fire with the Holy Spirit, writing to refute those claims and to present Jesus for who he is, Lord of all. Now let's look at what he says. The first thing Paul does to argue against the fact uh, that Jesus is just one among many is he says this. He talks about Jesus in relation to God. Look at verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul says he is the image of the invisible God. Now, now it's about to get cool, so you better pay attention. Paul describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. The word image is the word, I'm going to botch it, econ, E-I-K-O-N, in the Greek, okay? That's actually where we get our English word icon, okay, or statue, all right? So the same word is used in Matthew chapter 22 whenever Jesus refers to the picture of Caesar on the back of the coin, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That word is there. Okay, the image of Caesar, right? Now, it's interesting. The Bible says that we're created in the image and the likeness of God, right? But he uses a different word in that verse. In that verse, he uses a totally different Greek word, and it is slipping my mind right now, but I will find it, and I will bring it back to you. But he uses a different word. And the word that I do know what it means, the word that uh, it means when it's referring to us being made in the image of God, it means that to choose. We're able to create. We have some of his attributes, but we're incomplete. Okay? It is not icon or econ, right? Whenever, whenever he, Paul uses this word econ, or however you say it, what it means is that God and Jesus are made up of the same stuff. Okay? They're made up of the same stuff. They are equal in every way. Both are sovereign. Both are sinless. Both are perfect. They are the same in character because they are the same person. When Jesus walked the earth, one of the things that got the Pharisees mad at him was that he would tell them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that made their blood boil. 
Because they were like, he's making himself equal with God. And that's what got him killed. Right? Now, in the person, look what, listen to what he says. In the person of Jesus Christ, the invisible God became visible. Have you ever stopped to think about, and I really want you to think about this for a second. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that for hundreds and hundreds of years that the prophets of old, the Old Testament longed for and studied all of those prophecies and they literally were watching every day for the Messiah to come and they were so and they were full of anticipation, always watching, but they never got to see. How blessed are we that we stand on the other side of that? thought about that? What? They were so much, when I look at the, the, the heroes of the Old Testament, I'm thinking they are so much better than me. And yet here I stand on the other side of prophecy being fulfilled, and I know exactly who the Messiah is, and I get to reap the benefits of that. And so did they by faith. And we'll talk about that another day. But it's just awesome to think about that, that all they, all they knew was a shadow, and now we know the substance, we know the man, we know Messiah. And he then goes on to call Jesus the firstborn of all creation. And people who want to deny Jesus being God will say, you see? See? He was, he was born. He was the first one born. So he was a superhuman. Right? I've heard this before. You think I'm crazy. I'm telling you in college, there are professors that will say, that Jesus had special powers. I've even heard a professor say, listen to me, I'm not kidding you. I had a professor say to me one time that they believe that the reason why Jesus had lived for so long because they hold to a theory that Jesus has been alive. He was the firstborn of all creation and that he, he's lived and lived and lived and lived and lived. I had one professor say that uh, he really believes that Jesus found the fountain of youth. You know, before anybody else did and he just drank. I mean, this is the, I'm telling you, you think I'm stupid, you think I'm making it up? Sat in the class, heard it with my own ears. He's dead serious and he meant it. So the bottom line is this, he called, when, God, when, when Paul says he's the firstborn of all creation, he doesn't mean that Jesus was the first ever born. And, and people will point to that text and they'll say he was created. That's not what he meant. It, and I'm going to get into this for a minute. About my, about my stepbrother, because I want to explain this to you real quick. My stepbrother, I got a call, what was it, two years ago? And my stepbrother was struggling. He ended up in a church, and the guy was telling him that Jesus was, um, that Jesus was a man, but that Jesus learned how to live the sinless life. And that, that God gives the right to men to live sinless lives if they choose to be righteous. So he was taking away the deity of Jesus. Had my stepbrother confused to no end. My dad called me. He said, listen, you got to talk to your brother. Your brother's going around and he's just mimicking what this guy says. He's, well, he, he's acting strange. He's not talking to us anymore. He's always at this church morning, noon, and night. I mean, he's always there. you got to come talk to him. We sat there for four and a half hours. And the stuff that he was coming out of his mouth was like, yeah, Jesus was special, but he wasn't really God. I remember him saying that. So I turn with him to Hebrews, where it says, Woe to those, woe to those who deny the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, for those men are accursed. And 
uh, and I may be saying that a little wrong, but it's, that's the gist of what it says. And I remember him just weeping and crying. He's like, I don't understand. So we had to spend all this time. But let me, let me help you understand what the firstborn of all creation means. The firstborn of all creation, this speaks of the right to an inheritance. The right to an inheritance. You remember the story of Jacob, Jacob and Esau? Right? The firstborn gets the blessing. The firstborn gets the inheritance. And so, by calling Jesus the firstborn of all creation, what he's saying is that Jesus has the right, as the one and only Son of God, to inherit the earth and all the creation. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, For everything was created by Him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, excuse me, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. You were created by Him and you were created for Him. And everything on this planet is His. And that was created to bring glory to His name. Let me just say this. It says here, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. Does anybody know what that means? Thrones, rulers, dominions, or authorities. If you were in here years ago for the study of heaven, one of the things we learned is whenever you see thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, it's talking about angels or fallen angels. Okay? Either one. So when you see that, rulers, authorities, you might think it's talking about kings. You might think it's talking about... That's not what it's talking about. Rulers, dominions, thrones. These are talking about different ranked demons and different ranked angels. And what he's trying to say is this, is that Jesus created everything, even the angels. And, and that they exist to bring him glory, that he's higher than the angels, that he's not just some servant of God, that he's over the servants of God, that he is equal to God, right? And then in verse 17, this is where it gets really awesome, so hang tight. Verse, verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Now check this out. That's literal, all things. Literally talking about the elements, the atoms, that make up matter, okay? Now, I'm fixing to get nerdy on you, okay? I probably already am nerdy, but I just think this is cool. You ready? I'm, I'm just a freak like this, and I think it's awesome. You ready? All right, so the very elements, the atoms that make up matter, anything that takes up space, okay? Matter, 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 right? Okay? Anything that takes up space that he holds everything together. Well, you say, well, why is that cool? Fixing to show you. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Ready? We're closing right here. So no panicking. 2 Peter 3, Verse 10. It's talking about the day of the Lord. It's talking about the day when Jesus comes back to claim what is rightfully His. The day of inheritance. The day when He comes to get His creation. 
But remember, we learned that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, right? So what happens to the old earth? Old heaven, we'll check it out. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Why is that cool? Because that is fission. This is chemistry 101. What happens when you split an atom? Anybody ever heard of an atomic bomb? Right? Right? So like if Jesus holds all the elements together and he comes back in judgment, that means that you're going to have every atom that exists splitting at the same time you're talking about an atomic boom. I mean, it's going to be awesome. You get what I'm saying? And that's what it talks about in the Bible whenever it says that whenever He comes back in judgment, that everything is going to burn under the intense heat of His glory. That's what it's talking about. Like when Jesus comes back, it is going, it's all going to burn and melt away. Big science right here in the Bible. Because He holds all elements together. He holds all things together. And whenever he comes back, and he comes back in judgment, he's going to stop it all together. He's going to have his children with him. That heaven, is, that earth is going to pass away. That heaven is going to pass away, and he's going to just take his hand off of it. Whenever when that happens, all of the elements are going to split in half. Kaboom. How awesome is Jesus? Pretty dang cool to me. He's also the head of the body of the church. This is so awesome that he puts this right here. What time is it? I'm, I'm going to just, what time is it? 640. <laughs> Great. All right. <laughs> he's also the head of the body. Y'all just messed up now. All right, he's also the head of the body, the church. So, all right, listen to me. Everybody who's a church person, okay, you ready? You come to church, I think it's so funny when people think, even preachers, when they think they have some kind of authority. We're talking about the Lord over all creation who destroys things simply by taking His hand off of it and ceasing to hold everything together. He is the head of the church. And it makes me laugh when I see people who want position and who jockey for position in a church you are a fool if that's how you think about church. Because I have no authority here except what was given to me by God. And all I am is a voice. That's it. I'm a voice. I'm an under-shepherd. He is the one in charge. He's the one that owns it. He's the one that controls it. He's the one that calls the shots. People say, well, I think we should choose this kind of music, and I think you should preach for this long. Here, here's what, Christ is the head of the body. Jesus tells you to preach for 50 minutes. Andrew, you preach for 50 minutes, right? He tells you to sing contemporary songs, you sing contemporary songs. He sings, tells you to sing, you sing hymns. Nobody else, it's not a jukebox. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Not only is He the only one who holds everything together, not only is He the head of the church, He's the firstborn from the dead. 
He's the first one who rose from the grave. Now check this out. If we will be like Christ in every way, which is what 1 Thessalonians tells us, then right here you have a promise that you ain't got to fear death. Jesus rose, you're going to rise. You think he's got control over it, being as how he holds atoms and elements together with his hands? Think so? You think that since he gave the right, this is so cool, if you go read, you're going to see it later, but (coughs) there's a specific passage we're going to go to. Where did Jesus go? Look at me. Where did Jesus go the three days he was, his body was in the tomb? Where did he go? What? Hades. Why did he go to Hades? If he's God, I thought he couldn't be around sin. What? Preaching. That's what the Bible says. What that mean? Mm. That's going to be fun. We're going to go through that later. Where did Jesus go? Okay. If he bore the sins of the world, if he bore the sins of the world, here's a, here's a better question. You ready? Does God exist in hell? He holds the key. Of course he does. I like to think about it this way. I don't necessarily like to think of the fullness of God there. More like the presence of the wrath of God. Forever. You think God's not sovereign over hell? He's the one built the lake of fire. Go read Revelation. He's the one that created Satan. That's God's devil. So, talk about that later. God was pleased. God the Father was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Jesus and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, everything to Himself by making peace through the blood of His cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. All right. We're fixing to close. But then He goes on to say, listen, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, because of your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. I don't know about you, but that does me good. Because when I look at myself and I see how wicked I am and I see how unworthy I am, this passage right here, because it's like, okay, the one that holds every atom together by his hand, the one that uh, is over all of creation, the one who uh, everything was created through and everybody, everything was created for, okay, the one that rose from the dead, the one that went down to death and Hades and came up with the keys uh, to death and Hades, the one that's sovereign over hell, the one that's sovereign over everything. He's the one that has the power make me blind. And that makes me happy. 
because that's the only way I would ever be called blameless. Romans 8. Absolutely. Look it up. Read it to us before we leave. See if you can find it. And me. <laughs> That's a fact, Jack. You ain't never going to wrap your mind around the grace of God. And, uh, but here's the cool thing, you ready? The cool thing is that, that I like to always say, especially with Romans 8, still believe you can lose your salvation. And you read that passage and think you can lose your salvation. You did not earn your salvation. It was freely given. Jesus ain't no Indian giver. He's a covenant-keeping Savior. He's always kept his promises. He'll always keep his promises. talking to somebody about that today. It's altogether different when somebody knows the Lord, ain't it? Death is a gift. Paul lists it as a gift. We talked about it on Sunday morning. Kind of weird to think about. We don't think of it as a gift. It's a gift for those who are saved. (coughs) He said, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, 
and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now somebody might say, now wait a minute. Doesn't that mean that you, you just said we shouldn't lose our salvation, but that says if, if you remain faithful. So does that mean you can does that mean does that prove you're wrong? No. Go read Galatians. When it talks about true salvation, we're going to bring up some of these texts later. When it talks about true salvation, those who are genuinely saved, it says this we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back and fall away. But we are of those who press forward. Okay, we're the ones that continue. We abide with Christ. You say, what about my buddy who's made a profession of faith? He ain't been in church in 15 years. If he genuinely had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him, he will come back. That's why the promise says what it does about training your child in the way that they should go. For in the end, they will not depart from it. Everybody thinks, well, if I train them the right way, that doesn't mean they're, they're going to never stray away. That's not what it says. It says in the end, they'll come back. And that's the promise. There's so many pastors, kids, who they go just crazy. And trust me, I know. And I am praying every day that it don't happen. But I do have the promise that if I show them the love of Jesus and I show them the gospel, they'll come back. Jesus is Lord over all. And it's nice to know that somebody with that kind of power is the one that makes me faultless before God the Father. And I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear anything. Like what Romans 8 says, who, who, what should we fear? If God be for us, who can be against us? What in the world could you be afraid of if the sovereign Lord of the universe is your brother? Jesus. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the openness and people discussing and talking and participating and getting involved. Lord, it's, we all have the Holy Spirit. And so there are moments whenever you know, people jump in and, and God, they just add so much. Um, and I just thank you for giving them the courage to do that. Everybody who speaks up, speak out in the middle of these uh, times when we study together. And God, it adds so much stuff. We're the body of, we're the body of Christ. We're we're all here to build each other up. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just help us to remember that if somebody ever tries to deny the humanity of Jesus, let's stop them in their tracks and let's tell them that's, that's wrong. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. Don't take anything away from that. Your word tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, Father, we just thank you that he mediates for us. We thank you that he intercedes for us, that he, he's constantly reminding um, you every time we sin that that's covered under his blood. And so, Father, I thank you for that, and I just pray that you go with us from this place and that you be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.